What is up, Raptors fans? It's Ben here. This week, there's no Raptors talk. We're all about the play-ins, the playoffs. It started. There's heartbreak. There's drama. There's crazy shot-making. We're going to break down all the playoff matchups and what happened in the play-ins on this week's Raptors Review playoff version. Let's jump right in. All right, so for this week, Raptors fans, we figured we'd just go over each game that happened, all the playing games and the first games of each playoff series, and just give a quick rundown of what happened, give our major takes before we break into the preview and, you know, what little expectations we have for the games to come. So let's start off with the first game of the play-ins, and that was on Tuesday night, the Charlotte Hornets versus the Indiana Pacers, and Indiana walloped the Hornets. 144 to 117 guys what were your takeaways this was a stomp from the start and charlotte just came out so flat that it was a blow in the first quarter and yeah i stopped watching at halftime and i don't know if there's much more to talk about in this game (laughs) yeah when i looked up and saw that the pacers were going to have malcolm brogdon and sabonis back i knew that was going to be trouble for the hornets just because those guys have been in some big games. They have a bit more experience, the kind of experience that guys like LaMelo, Bridges, Washington just don't have. And I think that was pretty evident from the start. One team out came out playing like this was a play-in game, and the other team came out playing like this was a playoff game. And uh, it showed in the final results. Yeah, the Hornets really ended the season pretty poorly after Gordon Hayward got hurt, and LaMelo didn't do much after he got back. But uh, yeah, I guess they're, they maybe tanked for a better draft pick. <laughs> didn't really Next look like level. they wanted to win. Yeah, Lamelo just wasn't right play in. since he came back. He didn't have the same flair that he had before the injury. Yeah, yeah. he looked like he wasn't uh, really in peak uh, form. But and they didn't not... have Gordon Hayward either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's not spend too much time on that. Um, pretty boring watch. The next one was a bit more exciting. That happened later on that evening. It was the Washington Wizards versus the Boston Celtics playing for the seventh seed. Boston ended up winning 118 to 100. What did you guys think of this one? Well, Tatum, he went for 50 in this game. And, you know, he was obviously, if you're going for 50, you're doing a lot of good stuff. But, uh, yeah, Washington looked really inept. Like, I guess the Celtics defense is just too much for them. But uh, they they struggled to get anything good on offense. And on defense, they struggled to stop. It was The game was, like, not really that close, I thought. Yeah, this was a bad game from Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. They were both pretty inefficient. And particularly Westbrook is so hit or miss. In some games, he is a monster. And other times, it's just like he needs to stop shooting. And he doesn't have that off switch to like <laughs> stop. Um, and so they're, they're a very inconsistent team. I mean, Tatum still had to go off for 50 to get his team the win here. I mean, he could have gotten 40 and they would have won too. <laughs> but, okay, uh, fair enough. He was, I mean, the, like the rest of the Celtics were rolling too. Like Kemba Walker looked good and, you know, like it was just he was taking a lot of the shots and they were kind of feeding him because he was hot. But uh, let's keep yeah. moving through these playing games because everyone just wants to get to that first round. But we got to do the our due diligence and get through these playoff game, play-in games really quick before we get to that juicy playoff dessert. Um, what about the Memphis Grizzlies versus the San Antonio Spurs? This was a much closer game and ended with the Memphis Grizzlies winning 100 to 96. For me, guys, the big thing that I noticed was just that 
Jonas Valanciunas is really good. Uh, it didn't seem like the Spurs had much of an answer for him. Every time JV was out there, he was just controlling the game. He had 23 rebounds and 23 points on 62.5% shooting. He was a monster this game. Yeah, absolutely. Like the Grizzlies lose this game if they don't have JV. Like John Morant did nothing. Like their offense was basically feed the ball to JV or hope that he gets an offensive rebound. And I mean, as as bad as the Grizzlies offense looked, the Spurs offense was even worse. I think DeRozan was something like three of 16 and didn't get a bucket with, uh, with Dylan Brooks guarding him. And if you're the Spurs, like that's your main offensive creator who couldn't do anything. So like their offense looked really inept as well. Definitely gave me flashbacks to watching some Raptors game yeah. fours or sevens, <laughs> depending on how far we're getting swept. Just when like, you needed DeRozan to perform, just often feels like he's never there. Yeah, play yeah. on DeRozan is, this uh, is yeah, pretty this big. Is kind of in the story of his career is just not able to produce in the playoffs. And like San Antonio as a whole shot 35% from the field. It's it's really tough to win when you shoot that poorly. Like DeJounte yeah. Murray, there's a guy with the second most shots or third most actually because Rudy Gay took a lot as well. But it's 417. It's just like miserable shooting performance from the Spurs. And honestly, this was a totally winnable game for them and they just yeah. couldn't hit buckets. It was so close, and that's going to be the theme for a lot of these Grizzlies games, scraping through at the end. Um, the next game was probably the most anticipated game of all the play-ins. This happened Wednesday night. Golden State Warriors versus the Los Angeles Lakers. And I feel like this is the first kind of marquee game that we might actually want to dive into a little bit deeper here. What did you guys think of this game? It came right down to the end. LeBron hitting that I-couldn't-even-see-the-rim three-point shot. <laughs> Pirate LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this he game could was see. so fun. He could see. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean this this one felt like a playoff game. The other ones like maybe had the intensity, but this was you know your Lakers versus Warriors, right? Like this is two of the biggest teams in the West. You know, th- four of the last five champions. You know, this was you know Steph Curry versus LeBron. It was everything people wanted to see and. It had the feel of the playoff game. There was a crowd back, which has been really nice to see the last week or so. You know, there's been attendance over like 10,000 in a lot of these games. So it's great to have the fans back. And they add a lot to the atmosphere. And, you know, it was also like a really low scoring defensive game. Like both the Lakers and Warriors were really intense, great defensive teams. And it really showed. And that like every bucket down the stretch was like really important and really hard to get. And obviously, like the wild shot by LeBron at the end that sealed the deal was. You know, a great ending to a great game. This was one of the most impressive Draymond Green defensive games I think I've ever seen. Yeah, he, he was stifled AD. He stifled AD. He was just everywhere. His stat line wasn't super impressive. A classic two points from him with yeah. six turnovers, eight assists, and nine rebounds. But then three steals and three blocks, which I think undersells how impactful he was on the defensive end because he was really the linchpin of this defense that was stifling the Lakers and yeah it was it was just super impressive and I'm I'm sad that the Warriors are not going to be in the playoffs whoa you're giving away the next few games (laughs) everyone knows everyone knows I just was so impressed with Steph Curry this game like he was their entire offense in the first half he was getting some contributions from other players on the team just finishing off the four on threes that he was getting he was giving them against the other team's defense because honestly, the Lakers were throwing everybody they had at Curry. Like, there was 
relentless, even triple teams at times just to stop him from getting shots off. And for the most part, that worked. He definitely shot less than he usually does, especially from three. Still put up 37 points through this insanely one-minded defense. And in the second half, especially towards the end of the game, you noticed when the other players on Golden State stopped really contributing, contributing, that's when the Lakers were able to get back in the game. Notably in the third quarter, I feel like that's where Golden State lost the game. Multiple possessions where Draymond Green had turnovers or the ball slipped out of Wiggins' hands or Kevon Looney's hands. And I feel like the game really turned there. Do you guys agree? I, I totally agree, but I think the Lakers defense should get a lot of credit. Like, yeah, Steph, he shot well, but in the second half, he only attempted three pointers. He had all three of them, but like they were, they were just not letting him shoot, which is really hard. Like we haven't seen defenses be able to do that. Like in the Memphis game, he had a lot more shots, whereas, you know, against the Lakers, only three pointers and only three, three pointers attempted in the second half. Like that's amazing for the Lakers D. Well, the big difference there is that Memphis was just satisfied to have Dylan Brooks, guard curry and golden state never had just one person guard curry and when they did it was dennis schroeder and he got torched but uh they were throwing at least two bodies sometimes three bodies at curry almost the whole game and the other players on golden state couldn't do much outside of the outside of curry so that was the the story of the game unfortunately yeah i really feel like there was uh, about there was about three or four minutes at the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth quarter where the Warriors sat Steph and he ended up only playing 40 minutes this game and that stretch they just got annihilated in. and it was like this is like almost a do or die game it's like this is super important because if you play him a few extra minutes in this game if he has the stamina to do it like you you, you get to rest the whole next game you don't have to play another playing game right so like why I, I struggled with the rotation there because it was just like the game was on a knife's edge and they rested Steph. And it was like, if he has the ability to keep playing, I think you have to keep him in the game because Anthony Davis ended up playing the last 14, 15 minutes of the game. Like he did, they didn't pull him out. And that felt like a bit of the difference in the game. It was, yeah, it was razor thin margins. Yeah. There was like four minutes to start the fourth quarter where it was LeBron and AD against the Warriors bench. And yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. A couple of things I want to point out here. I have a couple of interesting kind of questions slash takeaways. First question I have for you guys is Andre Drummond going to be playable throughout the playoffs? Because he looked terrible in this game. And we've seen that a little bit. Do you guys think he's going to be part of their rotation? No, no. We, we saw it in the second half of the Warriors game. They didn't play him at all. They went to the AD at, uh, at center lineup. That's their best lineup. It, I know that they you know they have to be forced into into playing that and going with that but we saw that in the playoffs last year there were games where they didn't play Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee at all against the against the Heat in the finals and you know against uh, Houston as well so you know I think the Lakers know that their best lineups are without a center and it just they have to kind of be forced into playing it yeah without with how poorly Drummond is playing it really is a bit of a question mark of why Mark Gasol isn't getting some of these minutes. Like if you are going to play a center, I know Gasol is washed, but even a washed Gasol does less to actively hurt your team than Drummond does. Um, and on offense, he's a more useful player because he can space a little bit and make some intelligent passes. And on defense, like I think Mark Gasol is still a better player than Drummond. Um, and so I'm not really sure why Gasol is completely out of the rotation and Drummond is still playing. 
I think part of that strategy is just saving Gasol for the matchups they want him in. I think as we get deeper into the playoffs, we're going to see look A being Anthony Davis at center, and that'll be the closing lineup, especially against teams where you want some switchability. Mm-hmm. And then the bench lineup will be Montrez Herald uh, for those play those games where you want, they have like a lot of good outside shooting. You want some more switchability, but then if you have a big that you want, you know, not to switch on because he's a mismatch on the offensive end, like, um, it's hard. I don't even know who in the Western conference, I guess, uh, Jokic or Nurkic perhaps would fall into that category. Um, maybe Rudy Gobert. I think you can see Gasol in those matchups more, but even like the, the first round matchup of Deandre Ayton, like, Harrell, it's a tough matchup for Harrell and Drummond's just so bad. It's like, I think Gasol would be helpful there too. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we'll see more Gasol against Aiton. We didn't see him the first game, but we might no. see it coming forward. Aiton kind of wrecked him. We'll get to that later on. The next one yeah. here is Alex Caruso versus Dennis Schroeder. I'm thinking by the third round, Caruso's going to be starting. What do you guys think? I think that uh, Dennis Schroeder gives you a little more juice in offense. He hasn't really been that so far in the playoffs but i think for the lakers to get to that third round they're going to need more from shorter in offense so i think that's probably why he'll still be in the rotation and getting minutes but caruso is definitely the uh, superior defensive player i agree with you as far as like Schroeder being better on offense in a vacuum but next to lebron james i think caruso is better on offense because he's a better three-point shooter than Schroeder. I think they're they're pretty similar, but you know, Schroeder can actually do like ball handling and and penetrate. But if you have theory, LeBron, but, you don't yeah. really need Schroeder to do ball handling. Like, why but not LeBron, put him on the bench unit LeBron to spark that place? Is not a hundred percent yet, and when LeBron's not playing, they need other ball handlers. And yeah, this is this is a big. Cons- I guess we'll maybe talk about the Lakers a bit more later, or let's just talk about them now. Like, their LeBron is not clearly not healthy right now. Um, he's at like. Maybe 60%. There's a lot of possessions where he's just standing at the top and he'll initiate the offense and then just stand there like James Harden, 30 feet from the basket, not moving mm-hmm. and just watching everything play out. And the the Lakers offense has really been struggling because Dennis Schroeder and Anthony Davis are not up to the task of creating good offense. Like Anthony Davis this season has the jump shot from the bubble last year has not returned yet. And he is not a primary offensive creator at this point. And so, yeah, LeBron, he, he clearly lacks the explosion to get to the rim. And like he had it earlier this year. So I don't think it's an H thing. I think it's his ankle. And like when he does get to the rim, he's been struggling to finish because, you know, his, his jump and his explosion isn't there. So he is struggle. It's hard for him to be a pick and roll player if driving isn't really what he wants to do. So, yeah, this Lakers offense has been a little bit in the mud so far. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about that in a bit, I'm sure. But let's move through the play-ins. I want to get through these nice and quick. Next game on the docket here, Thursday evening, we had Indiana Pacers versus the Washington Wizards. Washington blew them out 142-115. to Any comments at all about this game? The Pacers' defense is... like That game was so bad. They were just going over on screens with Russell Westbrook, and it was just a layup line for the Wizards. I don't know. That was that was really that's a really bad omen for Nate Bjorkren's chances of being a coach next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like they really miss Miles Turner against Westbrook quite a bit. But yeah, like yeah. if you have Miles Turner, like funneling people to the rim is not a bad idea. Without him, though, they have no rim protection, and yet they're still making everyone go there. It was yeah, it was yeah. brutal. Sabonis is a train wreck on defense. So yeah, yeah. No further thoughts on this one. 
Okay, so our final game on the docket here, probably a little bit more interesting. Memphis Grizzlies got their revenge against Golden State Warriors, beat them in a close game to clinch the eighth seed, 117 to 112 in overtime. Guys, what about this game? This was an exciting watch. John Morant's shot making was really impressive. This was this was a excellent John Morant performance, and this is what you want to see from him because I think there's been some question marks about how he'll be able to f- perform in the playoffs, being not a great shooter. If he's just one dimensional, can defenses really key on on that and stop his drives? But his floater game was on point. His finishing around the rim all on point, and he he was really impressive. Notably, he also actually did shoot the three pretty well this game, hit five of 10 attempted. He was not shying away, which is a really good sign for him moving forward. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. And the Warriors offense, I thought, you know, continues to struggle when, you know, you have one threat and the defenses in a playoff atmosphere are really keyed on that. And, you know, they're, they couldn't really get that much going. I want to give a shout out to one player who I think really played above his head in this game and might have been the difference. And that is Grayson Allen. Um, really unbelievable performance, shooting four of five from three in a couple in 25 minutes. And uh, the biggest plus on the night, plus 17. Yeah. Good I don't know why. Like, I really can't explain to as to why he <laughs> played so well and what he was doing as far as the matchups. But I think probably just the spacing he provided really gives Jaw some room to work and some of the other guys a bit of extra breathing room. Yeah, absolutely. So I got a question for Ben. Warriors were one of your picks. Now they they ended up not getting a win in, at all in the playoffs. How do you feel? You know what? They were, they were always a dark horse pick. High upside, um, but high risk as well. I think they kind of got unlucky. They these games were so close against the Lakers, yeah. and like this Memphis game went to overtime. Um, but they could have easily beaten the Lakers, and I I don't have any regrets. the The Steph Draymond combo is so fun to watch that I I'm gonna keep rooting for the Warriors. And next year they're gonna be scary. You think that they're gonna be scary next year? Yeah, with Clay back, they trade Wiseman and their pick, the Minnesota pick this year for another star. How are they going to trade Wiseman? I don't think anyone wants him. They package him with the Minnesota <sighs> pick from this year, Aaron. Boom, done. I just want to point out, this look pick looks especially bad given that the Dallas Mavericks were still on the board when you picked the Golden State Warriors. Um, I This was a high upside pick. High upside. Okay, okay. Um, it, not every pick is going to pan out, but... I will say my Memphis pick so far panning out. Anyways, well, let's talk about that later. <laughs> um, one concern for the Grizzlies, I think, is Jaron Jackson Jr. is clearly not completely back. He's playing now, but really rusty, and he's playing usually less than 20 minutes a game and is not really performing that well. But I think he's he's such an important part of their future that they need to keep giving him minutes and giving him this experience because that's more important than the results and at this point. I think what's important about sort of Jared Jackson is that even if he's not playing well, he's still uh, at least holding his own on defense with his mobility and his length. And, and so like he can at least still be earning minutes and not, not killing you that way. Even if offensively he's not really back. So that's usually the last thing to come is like sort of the timing, the, the, the confidence, the consistency there. So, I mean, I, I'm not really worried about him long-term, but yeah, you, you'd want him to be doing a little bit more than he is. If they want to get through Utah, he'll have to perform better, I think. But we'll talk more about that in a second. Yeah. Let's get to the actual juicy games of the week. 
the ones that occurred over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. I kind of love how they scheduled this, you know, um, just all the games, like four games one day, four games the next day really gives you a massive injection of playoff basketball right at the start. Almost impossible to watch it all, but uh, really exciting ball. And I think this first game was probably the most exciting game of the weekend, in my opinion. And that was the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Miami Heat. Went to overtime with Jimmy Butler, tying the game at the buzzer with a right-handed layup uh, in one-on-one coverage against Giannis, I might add. And then Chris Middleton with the game-winning shot with half a second left on the clock to win the game in overtime. Guys, um, any takeaways from this game? What do you expect to see moving forward in the playoffs in the series? When I was watching the game, I thought it was like a really even game and you know like it was it was a real playoff game both teams are really battling on defense playing super physical and you know to me the bucks defense was was really terrifying like they are massive and with miami's like lack of shooting and it was a lack of spacing like they just couldn't really it was really hard for them to do anything get any kind of consistent looks jimmy butler i think was you know that was his like third made field goal of the game and on like almost 20 shots or something like that They're, four of 22 yeah four of 22 yeah so you know the bucks defense looks scary but my takeaway from this game is the i think the bucks shot under 15 percent from three in this game while the heat shot around 40 percent and yet the bucks still won and that's a really really scary number going forward in this series because if if the three-point shooting balances out and there's no reason to think it won't it's just going to be bucks all like bucks and four or five i think so i want to push back into that a little bit because i i I saw some of that commentary on twitter as well where it's like oh there's this crazy shooting differential between the teams where miami hit 23s and the bucks only hit five and so it's like that's never going to happen again. But Jimmy Butler is not going to shoot four of 22 every game. Bam out of bio is not going to shoot four of 15 every game. They, they really shot poorly. And Bam especially, I was really confused at what he was doing on offense because they would have Brooke Lopez sagging into the paint and Bam is in the mid range and just like waiting for some guy to come around a screen and dish him the ball. And Bam throughout this season has really developed a mid-range jumper and has been pretty efficient at it. And he's being left wide open and he's not even looking for that easy mid-range jumper. And I was like, why isn't he just shooting every single one of these and pulling Brooke Lopez out of the paint? I feel like that's an adjust, an easy adjustment that Miami has to kind of give their offense some easier looks. Bam should be taking over 20 shots a game because Brooke is playing way too far off him. I agree with you. I think that is the low-hanging fruit and an adjustment we might see is Bam, especially when the offense is bogging down, taking more of those looks that Brooke Lopez is giving him. But I'm going to push back on the Jimmy Butler piece. Like I think he won't shoot this bad, but I think Milwaukee Bucks have every tool at their disposal to limit Jimmy. Yeah, His lack absolutely. of an outside shot and small stature compared to all of the Bucks players. Like He's not going to have to muscle these guys. There was one rotation on the wing and Miami was running like a three-person kind of play there. And the players defending a three-person play were Chris Middleton, PJ Tucker, and Drew Holiday. And then Brooke Lopez was waiting at the rim. I was like, you're not getting anything from this. These are all plus defenders. And it's just going to be a tough matchup, I think, for the Miami Heat this year, especially if they're just not getting super hot from three. I mean, if 
Duncan Robinson plays like he did in the first quarter the whole series, they have a chance. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, this this Bucks D, I think, has been at least from this one game, maybe the most impressive thing I've seen this in the playoffs so far. Like it was, it was really scary stuff. All right, let's get some snap judgments here. So, are you Bucks and four then, Aaron, or what's uh, what do you think in the series? Uh, is I'd say be? Bucks and five. Yeah, Bucks and five, Gavin. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. You know, Jimmy is going to have that one game where he just goes Super Saiyan, but uh, it's not going to happen every game, and it needs to for them to win the series. So five think, games. Okay, okay, you guys are both agreed. I think it's going to go farther than that. I, I still do favor the Bucks as well, um, but. I think this is going to be more of a Bucks and seven series. All right. I mean, I, I would love for it to be Bucks and seven, like that. That, like Gavin was saying in the intro, like this is maybe been the best game so far. So I want more of this series. It's definitely the best one in the East. So, mm-hmm. our next game to get to was the first matchup between the Los Angeles Clippers and the Dallas Mavericks. Our first upset of uh, the first round, and the Dallas Mavericks were able to pull it out one thirteen to the Los Angeles Clippers 103 off the back of superhuman performance by Luka Doncic. Is that the takeaway, guys? Just Luka Doncic was the best player on earth that night? Maybe not on earth, but definitely on the floor, which is you know not a good sign for the Clippers when you have Kawhi and Paul George. But uh, I want to see more of this series before I, I make judgments on it. Because like I mean, last year this is this is the rematch and uh, you know the Clippers won that one in six, but the Dallas was still pretty competitive in a bunch of the games but you know the clippers still i think were the deserving winner of that but uh i don't want to overreact to one game but uh not a, not a good sign for the clippers like they didn't they didn't look amazing and they struggled to score on this dallas defense so yeah I, there, there was a bit of a three-point differential here where the mavs shot 47 percent from three and the clippers shot 27 percent. so yeah. it's like uh, when that shooting balances out a little bit, we'll see. I think we'll have a better idea of how the series is going to play out. But it's certainly like last year, the, the series was a really close six game series where the Mavs were really in it. And there was a Kristaps Porzingis injury, which made it a lot tougher for them. Um, but I have no reason to think this won't be a close series and go maybe at the distance to seven. Honestly, I think it's time we just gave Luca his credit. I think he can be the best player in the world if he's on. And Kawhi Absolutely. can do that too. Like he could be the best player in any given game of the series. So could Paul George. But I think most nights, if you're betting, you're probably picking Luca to be the top performer of these two games head to head. I mean, I, the question I is, think Kawhi do is the, probably still better, but yeah, yeah. Do the Clippers have enough around the edges to kind of overcome that and just dominate? Because I think the supporting cast for the Clippers might be a touch better. But I think the key stat here is 27.5% from three for the Clippers, who are the best three-point shooting team in the league. So Yeah, not only the league, like all time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like it's not likely for that to continue. And some games just are who shoots from three better. And I think this was one of them. Yeah, I, I hope this series goes the distance because it's, you know, you're watching a lot of great players clash and, you know, Luke is a lot of fun to watch. And obviously Kawhi has lots of fond memories for us Raptors fans, so. Yeah, I'm personally hoping for Clippers in five, just so that I can get the max amount of points and get that Dallas team off Aaron's uh, <laughs> off Aaron's roster quick and easy. Yeah, I think we should give a little shout out to Luke Kennard with his four year, sixty four million dollar deal, getting a DNP in the first playoff game. Yep, yep. Not a true a businessman. Does, does anyone <laughs> want to do any man. any doom predictions if we read the tea leaves and see the Clippers losing this round? 
does Kawhi come back to the Raptors? Like, how screwed if... are they? They don't have any draft picks. They have all their salary cap tied up. Like, yeah, they've gone all in. Um, yeah. If they if they lose this, this is this could be an implosion. They've already locked up Paul George on a very generous extension, going well into his thirties. Yeah. Like, Kawhi is the one domino that hasn't fallen yet. But we'll, let's not go too far down that road until we watch more of these games. I mean, if the Clippers do get swept and Kawhi rejoins the Raptors, I won't be upset. You know, even <laughs> if I lose the challenge because of it, I won't be upset. Yeah. Okay, our, our next game to think about here was another kind of interesting matchup. Um, it was the Boston Celtics versus the Brooklyn Nets. And Boston led for the majority of the game. But in the end, Brooklyn was able to overcome them and win 104 to 93. Pretty cool game, guys. Uh, what did you guys think about it? Do you think that uh, Boston's just screwed here? Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The Nets shot really poorly in the first half, which allowed like Boston to stay in the game. And then down the stretch, they just remembered that they could hit shots. And it, it, there's just, there's just a, such a huge talent gap here. Like, this series, I I would be surprised if it even goes to five. The Nets are just so much better. What I think was the most uh, maybe concerning thing about this series, if you're a Celtics fan, is they scored 93 points against the Nets defense. Like they weren't getting consistently good looks, and this is like this is a team that you need to be running and gunning with. And if you're struggling to score against this, is maybe the worst defense in the playoffs. Like it's game over for you. So. And the Celtics also just have matchup problems where they have they've Kemba on the floor a fair amount and he's just going to get hunted. They played Jabari Parker like 20 minutes and he like played pretty well for them, but was definitely getting hunted as well. So as soon as the Celtics put a bad defender out there, it's just the Nets just target them. And there's <laughs> they have so much talent to target individual defenders that it's just like it's bad. Okay, so if you're Brad Stevens and you got to make an adjustment here, what do you guys do to make this series closer to give you a chance of winning a couple games? Are there any moves you can make, you think? I, I mean, I would be running a lot more pick and roll. I think they, they ran a really ISO heavy offense and maybe I'd be looking at doing Kemba and Walker or sorry, Kemba and uh, Tatum pick and rolls, maybe inverse those as well, just to get some sort of motion and passing into into their offense because, you know, going one-on-one against the Nets on defense is sort of exactly what they want with you taking pull-up jumpers because it, you know, lets all their stars rest and not have to rotate and be focused, so. I think to I, the, one of the only adjustments they can make is to just like put in Semi Ojale and have him tackle a few of the Nets stars and hope that there's injuries because I, I think they're just drawing dead here. What I think we'll see is um, Robert Williams move to the starting lineup. I just think if we are going to be running a lot of pick and rolls, um, like you said, Aaron, which I think is also a path they should be taking. I just like Robert Williams as the role man a lot more than Tristan Thompson. I think Robert Williams stresses the defense a lot more and you can finish above Claxton and Griffin. So I I like Williams more than Thompson, especially moving forward. If they are going to lose the series, it might just be worth it to get him some reps as a young player. Yeah. And I thought the Celtics centers were a point of strength for them in like the size gap. They were getting rebounds. Um, Like that's certainly something they can exploit, but it just feels like a marginal 
difference. Yeah, I, say, I think that the difference is everywhere else. Yeah, I think they yeah. they can win a game though. Like if they got hot Let's from hope. three, they can win a game. <laughs> Do you have the Celtics on your? Are they one of your teams? <laughs> they are one of my teams. Yeah, so okay. I need them to win. They got me one point already. I was hoping they get me two, maybe three points. Was the high upside on that pick? where they were in the draft. So let's cross our fingers and hope they get me to at least two points. Okay, next game was a bit late at night, but I think this might be one of the more interesting series altogether. Um, Portland versus the Denver Nuggets. And Portland ended up winning 123 to 109. Um, Ben, you're looking really smart for picking them above Denver. Or Aaron, you might be looking really dumb for picking Denver above Portland. In my defense, I thought the the they would be playing the Mavericks, who I also picked, I know but... you're completely wrong on that. <laughs> yeah, totally wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think this is a good matchup for the Trailblazers, and like we talked about it a bit last week, but the Nuggets are just so injured that their guard rotation is Aust- like Austin Rivers is starting alongside Compazzo, and they're both playing thirty plus minutes in this game, and it's like. The talent gap there, even when they're playing well, it's just like going against Dame, CJ, and Norm Powell. It's 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 a big difference to make up. Yeah, and schematically, I noticed two things that the Blazers did this game. One is putting Jokic in high pick and rolls, and then just blowing by him. And if you sag back, just hitting all the open threes, it just they were abusing Jokic. And on the other end, they just yeah, let Jokic go one-on-one. It was just like, you're not passing. He had one assist this game, mind you. Like, it was mostly from poor shooting from his teammates. But but they were limiting Jokic as a creator and making him score. And yeah, he scored really well. But if if he has to do all the scoring himself, he, he can't beat you that way. So you know, I thought it was a really smart game plan from the Blazers here. And to me, I think that they're the heavy favorites in this series now. Yeah, watching it play out, it definitely seems that way. I can't think of a much worse team to go up against for Jokic. Like the ball handling that you get from Lillard, McCollum, even Norman Powell is gonna just gonna kill his like drop coverage, and he can't switch onto them or come up because he's just gonna get toasted by any of those guys. Even Anthony Simons will toast him on that. So it, it's gonna be a struggle for them. And if they don't have other players step up in a big way. It, they're going to continue to struggle on offense. And I, I'm looking at the lists on their team and the only players I can think that might step up would be Michael Porter, but he had 25 points in this game. Yeah, he did. He, he could shoot a little better from three though. Yeah. Like he, he didn't play amazing, but you know, schematically, I'm not sure what the nuggets can do. Like it seems like yeah. they're just like at a disadvantage. So I do think it would be poetic justice for a certain player that Ben loves to knock out his own his own pick, right? I'm talking Austin Rivers. What if this guy just gets hot? <laughs> I mean, that would be amazing for me, but I I don't see that happening. I think that ship has sailed for Austin Rivers' career. Although <laughs> he does have random games every now and then, but it's not I don't, it's not something you can rely on. <laughs> yeah, he's a career so, journeyman for a reason. Yeah. How different would the series be if if uh, Murray was healthy? Oh, night and day. I, I think Denver would be huge favorites in this series. Yeah. Jamal Murray is we've seen like last few playoffs in total. Jamal Murray's just been unbelievable. And he adds just this another another dimension to their offense with his ball handling and shot creation that makes them so much tougher to guard. Because right now it really is all Jokic for the creation. And Michael Porter Jr. wants to just catch and shoot all day long and doesn't have that ball handling 
and offensive creation on his own. Here is my adjustment, okay? Take out Austin Rivers, put in Bull Bull, and just get every <laughs> rebound. Like, just don't miss any rebounds. You're not even limiting your spacing if you do that because Bull Bull might be a better shooter than Austin Rivers. And you just get every rebound. I think Bull Bull can have a similar effect to Jamal Murray on this roster. If they're, if they're down 3-0, that, that might happen. Yeah. Like, what if they just go mega big and just like say you're never getting a rebound guys and you know what Nurkic you're getting in foul trouble right away I feel like they tried that in the bubble last year and it didn't really work in like their preseason bubble game <laughs> yeah, when they, they were like that. had no other bodies yeah I, I think your defense you would just give up a ton of wide open threes also, yeah. also I don't think true. Bull Bull helps your rebounding because Austin Rivers could box out Bull Bull <laughs> like <laughs> yeah but he just reach over him get serious <laughs> yeah Okay, let's move on because we're getting a bit silly here. Um, So we're all picking Portland now, eh? even though a lot of us were picking Denver last week. Not me. Watching it, you know, Ben has the foresight. Okay, another less interesting matchup to get to here. Washington Wizards versus the Philadelphia 76ers. Tobias Harris had a career night and uh, led the Sixers to victory, 125 to 118. And I know we have some Harris haters on this podcast. So what do you guys think of Harris's performance? And do you think that the Washington Wizards are screwed. Yeah, this is uh, this is Sixers and in, in four. This is a sweep. But I think the the key stat here is to look at the free throw differential. The Wizards had fifteen free throw attempts. The 76ers had thirty three, and I think it's going to be that way all series. Like they just don't have the physical. Like they can't physically match up with the 76ers. Yeah, the Sixers are healthy and really, really good. Also, I want to give a little like Danny Green is getting 30 plus minutes on the number one seed in the East. And he was just dumped by the Lakers after last year, <laughs> after he played like somewhat poorly yeah. in, in the bubble. And it's like this guy is still a really useful player and just finds a way to be on elite teams and like a starting like important contributor for them. And yeah, I, I, like this Sixers team is legitimately really good. Embiid is still cooking in only 29 minutes. He had 30 points. Like, he, the, this is a sweep. I'm with Aaron. Yeah, I think your Danny Green point is well taken. If you can shoot threes and play a little bit of D, you're going to have a role in this league. And I think he's for a long time been amazing at that. And he's maybe a little worse now than he used to be, but he's still right there. And that's a valuable piece for them to have, especially with players like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid that you just want spacing around. I agree with you guys. I think that this is going to be a sweep. I cannot think of a worse matchup for the Wizards. I think losing to Boston in the playing round was really bad for them. Um, Just because Westbrook is so neutralized by having a team that can pack the paint. And there's probably no team in the league that can pack the paint with bigger bodies than the Sixers. Yeah, maybe maybe the Bucs. But yeah, I mean, I think the the Wizards were drawing dead no matter who who they played. But... I think they had a chance, like uh, not a chance, but I think they could have won a game or two against the Nets just with like fast breaks to the rim, Westbrook getting up there and yeah. slamming it. Like I yeah, think that would have been very open matchup, against but, the Nets, yeah. but against the Philadelphia or Milwaukee. Yeah. Like the bodies are just way too big and there's too many strong defenders in the paint. And then, you know, sure. You know, maybe Bradley Beal will get hot and win them a game, but he played amazing. Put ben game. Simmons. He was fantastic. Or on him. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't matter. that's going to make his life real hard. And you need contributions from other players. They just don't have the shooting to uh, to do anything. Like, at any given moment in their lineup, they only have maybe three shooters. Like, Bradley Beal, Neto, 
Bertans, yeah. and they don't play anyone else that I think can shoot the ball. Yep. They're so, always playing a traditional center and Russell Westbrook. So it's like, yeah, you're only ever going to have three shooters on the floor. Yeah. And sometimes they're playing Rui too, who's like not a shooter. So <laughs> yeah, it just gets very tough for them to get any kind of spacing. And then if you don't have spacing against the Sixers, you don't have anything. So yep. yeah. A huge game that took place after that one um, was the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Phoenix Suns. And I don't know if I can call this an upset. I probably can. The general consensus is that the Lakers should win this series, even though the Suns are the two seed. But they ended up winning 99-90 to in a very defensive, heavy game. What did you guys think of this one? Are the Lakers in trouble? Uh, To me, the Lakers are not in trouble. Anthony Davis had probably the worst playoff game of his career, maybe the worst game of his career. And he got absolutely dominated by DeAndre Ayton. And I don't think that's going to happen again, or at least consistently. And to me, the Phoenix, outside of Devin Booker, they really struggled to score. The Lakers drew a lot of fouls. And I think if LeBron continues or maybe can get a little bit healthier, get a little bit more going towards the rim, the Lakers are and if AD just shoots better or plays better like they're going to find little ways to score on the suns and and win this series because i I don't really think the phoenix has a consistent way to score so i'm not too worried about the lakers if if lebron if this is how lebron is for this round then the lakers are dead no it's the lakers are in that no like without lebron's offense this team has no reliable way to create offense and the, the suns are just flat out better than them no because ad like, is going to be way better dude uh ad hasn't been good all year like when like at a certain point it's just like you can't expect ad to just come out of yeah, the woodwork and just start hitting shots when he hasn't been able to hit shots all year like i think ad is not even as good this year even inefficient and, ad is is better than ad was this game and and they don't need efficient AD. They just need AD to not be horrible. And I think that then it's even. Yeah, but when it, when he's having to create shots for himself and he's just puking at mid range jumpers, mm-hmm. he's looking like a taller, skinnier Julius Randle out there. Like it's and DeAndre Ayton is a bad matchup for him. Like he DeAndre Ayton can guard him. Um, and Devin Booker is just the next best player, like next best player on the floor. And with I think a lot is going to depend on if Chris Paul is going to be fine because this game he was got hurt and then kept coming in and out of the game and definitely was very hobbled by his shoulder injury I think it was yeah um and so it's like if he comes if he gets enough rest before the next game and is healthy I think the I think the Lakers are cooked here because we've seen now two straight games of LeBron well even the last few regular season games that he played he is just like this is not regular LeBron. Mm-hmm yet and so i don't know i i'm thinking wait i don't have any reason to expect lebron to get back to 100 in the next couple games and the lakers are in real trouble here yeah i'm gonna take the middle line between you guys i think the lakers can still win this series but they're gonna need more from anthony davis he can't get shut down by ayton even though i agree with you ben ayton is the right mix of mobile and just slightly bigger than ad to give him some problems um and LeBron just has to play better. I mean, he shot the ball amazingly, but he only took like 13 shots. If he's shooting the ball this well from the field, he needs to take a lot more shots. And they need him to get up into 28, 29 points that we've seen LeBron score regularly. And if he can't do that, they could be in trouble unless Chris Paul is hurt. If Chris Paul is hurt, the Lakers have a good chance of winning, I think. 
but we'll see what happens with that. I want to see if Chris Paul is healthy. I want to see Alex Caruso bumped into the starting lineup to guard him and Dennis Ruder put onto the bench so that he can be a spark plug off the bench and he won't get torched by Cameron Payne when he comes in. I just think that's the best way to neutralize their offensive point guards. And uh, yeah, I feel like that's got to be the the move for them. Also, 19 minutes of Andre Drummond. What are you doing? Yeah, I think the Lakers like, have a lot of room to improve here. And the Suns don't. I guess that's my view on this game is like the Lakers have a lot of ways to get better. And this, I don't think the Suns do. Uh, why are they playing Andre Drummond over Marcus Gasol? Like Aiton went off in this game and you could have just stopped that. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we'll see something different in game two. There better be some adjustments yeah. made because if there isn't, they're in trouble. They've been consistently playing Andre Drummond, so we'll we'll have to see. I don't know. I I, I think the Lakers are in real real trouble here. But let's move on. Okay, I love my my Phoenix pick. It's looking amazing right now. Oh, another really fun series. I think this might be one of the more interesting series. Oh, they're all so interesting. This is a great playoffs, but. Atlanta Hawks versus the New York Knicks. Another game that went right down to the wire with Trey Young heroics down the stretch to win by two points, 107 to 105. Atlanta takes the win. Um, Really fun game. Guys, any takeaways you saw in this one? Adjustments you want to see made? Who do you think is favored moving forward? I went into the series thinking that the Hawks were a slightly better team than the Knicks. And this game reinforce that for me um the hawks just have easier ways to create offense and the knicks i just don't trust the knicks offense like julius randall had a he had a bad game um six of 23 just like puking up bad shots and not hitting them and down the stretch trey young just looked unguardable he was making all the right plays dishing beautiful passes hitting shots when he needed to like sealed the game but this game was just reminded me how important fans are the fans made this game so much more exciting than i think it otherwise would have been just like having msg going nuts for every nick's bucket and like alex burke randomly caught fire and everyone in the crowd's just losing their minds like it was it was so fun to watch um so yeah i'm looking forward to the rest of the series Notably, the attendance of this game is the highest we've had for any game yet at 15,047. Um, that's the most we've had all season into the playoffs. So it's kind of exciting. You could definitely tell the difference with the the Knicks fans just going crazy. Honestly, guys, I think this is a very even matchup. I agree that it seems like the Atlanta Hawks have more ways to make offense. But if you look at the score of the game, Atlanta isn't playing the way they want to play. Um, if it wasn't for some heroics by Lou Williams and then Julius Randle having like a terrible performance for himself, this would have been a win for the Knicks. And it came down to the last shot. Like it could have gone either way. I don't think the Hawks are favored. I think it's pretty 50 50. And if Julius Randle can pull his head out of his butt, I think the Knicks are favored because they controlled the pace of this game. And you can tell based on the points that were scored in the efficiency numbers, that the Knicks had their way with their defense. And if they threw the ball to Randall the whole game, even when he was having a terrible night. If he plays a little bit better, Knicks are winning. But like Alex Burke, Alec Burks really kept them in the game with like nine of 13 and 27 points. Like you can't rely on that. Like I think that balances out Julius Randall's shittiness. And to me, 
Like, I, I just don't trust the Knicks, I guess. That's what it really comes down to. I do not trust this offense. Like, they can just clog the paint and let Julius Randle keep hucking things. And he might play a little bit better, but the Hawks can also have room for improvement. And, I, yeah, I think the Hawks are just a better... They're more talented. Um, I agree with you completely. Three years from now, the players on the Atlanta Hawks will be better than the players on that are now on the New York Knicks, unless... RJ becomes some kind of superstar. Even then, I think Trey Young is going to balance that out pretty easily. But uh, it's not three years from now, so that like well, I think they're better right now. doesn't matter. I think they're better right now. I think there's a pretty big talent difference now. Right, right now, Trey Young is the best player on the floor, and the Knicks are not well equipped to hunt him on defense and punish him. Like I think this is the best playoff matchup for Trey Young because yep. the Knicks have no one who can target him, and. So, yeah, I, I, I favor the Hawks here. I think this is like five or six games. Hmm. I don't know. I think it's going to be really close, and I think you're going to see some better performances from Randall that can uh, make this series a long one. I still slightly favor the Knicks because I trust their defense a lot more, and I just trust the grittiness of their players. Is it also because you picked them? That's another big part of it, <laughs> and I want to uh, confirmation bias a little bit, but yeah. uh, I don't know. I just trust them. I think Clint Capella is pretty amazing, though. That's probably the player that I look at as being one of the best players in the series, but Randall yeah. needs to play better. And then we need to continue to get good play from Derek Rose. And uh, I think the Knicks can win some games then. And they're going to be tight either way. Yeah. Our last game of the series of the, uh, the weekend was the Memphis Grizzlies versus the Utah jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies definitely pulled up the upset. Um, with uh, Donovan Mitchell not playing. 112 to 109. Guys, is it time to start ringing the alarm bells in Utah? I think the fact that Donovan Mitchell didn't play this game is pretty alarming because they they basically, you know, they had another week off from the end of the regular season for them, and he's still not healthy. And if he's not healthy at all this series, like I think this is pretty close then. There was some drama around that as well because earlier on in the day, around one o'clock, there was like interviews and stuff, and all the reporters were under the impression that Donovan Mitchell was going to be playing in the game. And then it was around like four or five in the evening. It was just all of a sudden Donovan Mitchell's out, and he wasn't on their injury report that they Utah Jazz submit earlier on in the day. And so there was all these like question marks of like, wait, like is. Like, why is he out and what's happening here? And I think the the Utah Jazz might, might end up getting fined because they didn't put him on the injury report. So he was a very, very late scratch for them. Um, so I think to me that that means he should be, like, we should be optimistic about him playing at some point in this series. But yeah, we, I guess we don't so really know where his health Even is. if he does come back, you know, if he's not 100% and he's not in sort of good form, like, is he really going to be that impactful, right? Like, it's, yeah, I think there's definitely reasons to be worried if you're a jazz fan i tend to lean towards more what aaron is saying i think that some of this could be strategy on utah's side like we know he's not going to play but let's make the other team jump through all the hoops of preparing as if he is and then throw it at the last second that he isn't going to play yeah Um, to me if he's been off this long and it's the game one of a playoff series like his injury's got to be serious I don't yeah. think that they're going to take the risk of not playing him just to see if we can squeeze out a couple more days of rest just to make sure he's completely healthy because this is the playoffs. And maybe they think they're overconfident against the uh, Grizzlies, but I don't know. Like Grizzlies are dangerous. They've proven yeah. it now. I mean, without Donovan Mitchell, these teams are pretty evenly matched. 
It's really, yeah. 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 I think the Jazz should still be heavily favored here. Like this, this game one was Dylan Brooks heroics with 31 points. Um, he was he was awesome this game, and then also Rudy Gobert was in foul trouble and only was able to play 25 minutes. Like, I don't think that's a reliable recipe for success from Memphis and. Utah's still got a lot of other weapons with um, Donovan Mitchell out. So I, I think they're still a significantly better team here. I think this was just kind of one of those fluky upsets. There is a bit of three-point percentage disparity as well. We know Utah Jazz are one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league, and they only shot 25.5% this game. And Memphis shot 35%, which is probably a bit about where Memphis is going to be. Um, maybe a little worse than that on average. But uh, I think we can see some big 3% shooting increases from Utah, especially as they figure things out in this matchup, because there are definitely some exploitable players on the Grizzlies that uh, they can take advantage of. But they got to be shooting well to do it. Hopefully, if Gobert can stay in the game a little longer and knock into foul trouble, which is easier said than done against the offensive threat that is the Lithuanian Lightning, Jonas. (laughs) Like, let's not underestimate him. Like, he can put pressure on your bigs. He's not an easy man to defend. But historically, JV's really struggled against Gobert's length. Um, And I... I think this is one of the worst matchups for JV, but I mean, if he's able to draw fouls and like John Morant driving to the rim, like if they're able to draw fouls on Gobert, that consistently, that definitely changes things. But I think for the Jazz, the key is just getting Gobert to be able to play more minutes and because he is the best player on the floor and is just so important for that team that like when he's only playing 25 minutes, it's like, okay, you throw up your hands and like this is a random game and I, I, I don't read too much into this Memphis win. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, their defense would have been affected if Gobert wasn't out. But Gobert is actually such a huge part of their offense, too. Yeah, um, Their whole system is built around him diving to the rim and drawing in bodies so they can get threes. And him being out can really impact that, especially if they don't have Donovan Mitchell to create in isolation. They need Gobert on the offensive end. He's actually much more important than people think. Yep. Well, guys, that kind of brings us to the end of all eight series. So I have a couple of kind of closing questions for you guys. Some overall thoughts. First, after seeing the first game of these series, which series are you most excited to watch moving forward? For me, it's Milwaukee versus Miami. That's a, those are two great teams and uh, Milwaukee looks like they could be potentially pretty threatening to Brooklyn in the next round. So looking forward to that. Do you have a second place uh, there, Aaron? To me, the the LA Lakers versus the Suns is is also really compelling. You know, will the Lakers get it together? Like they're the defending champs, them losing in the first round, I think would be pretty significant and really open things up in the West. Cool. What about you, Ben? I agree with Aaron about the Bucks Heat because I think this has the most long term playoff implications for later rounds because I think the Heat and Bucks are both potential finalists. Um, the Heat are obviously underdogs, but they could get there if things fall their way. And then out West, honestly, I think the Clippers Mavs series is the one I'm watching for. Cause the Lakers are just like, if they're hurt, they could just lose. And it's not that interesting to me, but the Clippers and Mavs are both full strength. And it's just a really spicy matchup because watching Luca go against Kawhi and Paul George. And if he can just be better than them, that's super exciting for the future of the league. Cause Doncic could just be the best player for the next few years. Um, well, the next like 10 years, he's so young. Um, 
so that series is really fun to watch as well. And also, like the Clippers, I thought were the favorites to come out of the West. But if Dallas beats them, like is Dallas the favorites? I don't know. Like with the Lakers being injured, uh, the West is wide open right now. So honestly, every Western Conference series is super compelling because any of these teams, I think, has a shot at making the finals, except for Memphis. I think outside of the um, Milwaukee versus the Heat series, um, the West is every other series is more compelling in the West. And even then, like I think game one for Miami versus the uh, the Bucks might was pretty compelling. But I think if our predictions hold true and Milwaukee just starts to regress back to the mean as far as three point shooting and that evens out, that series might not even be that close, to be honest, if we um, over the next few games, if that happens. So for me, I do think Miami versus Milwaukee is the most compelling series just because of how game one went and the characters that are in that matchup. So many amazing gritty players that I love to watch. But out West, I'm going to say my second choice is definitely the Clips versus Dallas. Like so many superstars in that game that can go off at any moment. And it's just going to be very exciting to watch the kid Luca take over if he does. So that's my second choice. But I agree with your sentiment, Ben, that the West is just full of awesome games. And I'll definitely be trying to stay up late this week to watch some as much as my sleep schedule will hate me. Yeah, me too. Um, A couple other things, guys. First, we've seen the whole play in tournament happen now. And what are your takeaways from that? Should the league keep it in place? This is something that's been talked around a lot. We all are big fans of what it does to the regular season, making the games a bit more compelling down the stretch. But was it a bit of a letdown? What do you guys think? No, I think it was amazing. Yeah, it created lots of uh, meaningful games in the regular season. And even if the playing games aren't that awesome, like I think there was only like a couple of close ones, but in the West, they were really good games. But it just makes the end of the regular season matter, which is a thing that the NBA needed. Yeah, I think it's really the big picture. It's less about the individual games. And in the East, there was a few blowouts. It's really about creating incentives for teams to try down the stretch. And let's be honest, in most in most regular seasons, no one cares about the 7-8 seeds because they're going to get stomped in the first round. And this gives us a reason to care and watch some of those games. And it just creates compelling drama. So yeah, regardless of what actually happens in the games, and even if the Lakers had lost and somehow just like been knocked out in the play and everyone been like, oh, you can't, you don't, like, we can't have this. This is bad for basketball. It's like, no, the play ins are just a great design for increasing drama. And drama is what it's all about. I agree too. Even if most of the playing games themselves were a bit lackluster, just having that one Lakers Golden State game shows what is possible. And all the games down the stretch that were more exciting because of the chance of getting into the play-in, just make it worth it. I don't even care if the games are good or not. Um, Some Raptors news came up this week that I think is important to talk about. And that is that Masai Ujiri is currently negotiating his contract extension with MLSE uh, to see if he's going to remain the GM of the head of basketball operations with the Toronto Raptors, whatever his position is, is he going to stay there? What's going to happen? Um, are you guys waiting on pins and needles to, for the news report that he's re-signed? Like I am checking the news every day. I would say I'm or waiting just like me? that, but I think, you know, Messiah is what makes the Raptors tick and losing him, I think would be pretty devastating. Yeah. I, I'm pretty optimistic that he's going to re-sign. Um, 
there was a there was a, a really cool interview with him like when they're doing their postseason interview stuff where the reporters were telling him about all these nice things that like the players like Fred Van Vliet and Nick Nurse and Kyle Lowry and stuff had said about him. And Masai Ujiri actually teared up in the interview and was just like, it means so much to me. And it, like, you can tell how much he loves this team and is just passionate about the organization and the players that he has. And it would hurt to see him go, even though I just want him to be happy. I've got nothing but love for Masai. Um, so if he does move on, no burning of Masai's mythical jerseys. Um, <laughs> which everyone should just want what's best for him. But Okay. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I just really hope he resigns. I think any Raptors fan that's cheering for him not to resign is, what are you doing? You're not a real Raptors <laughs> fan. Masai is the team. Bobby Webster is his sidekick. And I want to keep both of them around for the long term, because I think Masai's the best GM in the league. And I've thought that for a long time. Even though he committed the unforgivable sin of signing Aaron Baines. And Alex Lynn. <laughs> and yeah. Alex Lynn. Playoff performer, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, my last question for you guys then, to finish our podcast up, who, which picks do you regret the most from our, uh, from our draft there of teams? Is there any teams that stand up to you that you wish you had changed? And don't be ashamed to admit your mistakes. Please be open for everyone. Let's quickly just recap where the points are at so far. So right now, Aaron and Gavin are tied at four wins apiece from their teams. And I'm sitting pretty at five with Memphis giving me three wins as the last pick in the draft. So I think so far that's been the steal of the draft. Um, but yeah, Aaron, start us off. What's the pick that you think is the worst? For for me, I, I regret picking the Nuggets. I thought that they were in a different in a different sort of bracket. And I, you know, I, I was a little too high on Jokic, I think. And then also the Hornets, I picked them before the the Grizzlies. And I think the Grizzlies, if I had thought about it for more than two seconds, were obviously the the better pick there. So yeah. Those are my two picks, but I think my team is still really solid and I'm happy with the rest of the picks. So, yeah, it's okay. For me, I got a couple regrettable picks, to be honest. I think my New York Knicks pick, while I still think it's fine against the Atlanta Hawks, should probably be the Portland Trailblazers. Um, I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going to lose to the Denver Nuggets. So I thought the New York Knicks had a better chance of winning Series 1 and that looking in hindsight was a mistake. I probably hadn't drank enough coffee that day when we recorded that. Um, and then obviously picking Washington over the Memphis Grizzlies looks pretty poor in hindsight. Um, and in the moment, I think that was the right pick. Like, I don't think I made a mistake there. I think the Grizzlies just scraped through the play in and they won that game against Utah, but I don't think anyone could have predicted that. I do think that the Portland versus New York Knicks pick was bad. Those yeah. are my worst picks for sure. I think your next pick was awful. I think we're all in agreement on that. <laughs> Only because Portland is below them and Dallas maybe. But Yeah. Right now, my pick that looks pretty trash is Miami, which I picked seventh. Um, and the road to get even wins is just so difficult going against Milwaukee in the first round. I think I maybe underestimated milwaukee a little bit because oh you did well, i think when this I is going to be a close third? series yeah oh my gosh the sound you made when i picked the milwaukee bucks third just shows how much you underestimated them. <laughs> yeah like i think this can be a close series but it could also totally be a milwaukee blowout so 
that's not great. And especially with, well, I mean, the other teams on the board after weren't great. But I mean, my Golden State pick did not pan out at all. Um, but I think the process behind that was sound and they got a little bit unlucky. So I'm not going to lose sleep over that one. But yeah, right now I'm winning anyways, so I shouldn't really lose sleep over any of my picks. Your last two picks have really saved you, Ben. Memphis and Portland have really made your team a lot stronger than I think anyone thought moving forward. But you're right, your middle picks there, Utah and Miami, could be interesting. I'm not worried at all about Utah at this point. You better hope that series goes seven, though. Yeah, that is the best case scenario for me. Get Memphis some more wins. So honestly, this first game Memphis winning was just gravy for me because I'm not worried about Utah getting their four wins in this series. All right, I think that's it, guys. So if you're still listening out there, thank you so much. Make sure you watch a bunch of playoff basketball and we'll be back uh, next week with uh, more breakdowns of the exciting games that happen. We'll definitely know a lot more about these series matchups, so stay tuned for that. Always remember to email us at raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. That's raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye for now.